Here we are at episode 186. If only healthy behaviour change was as easy as deciding. I mean, how many times have you decided? If it's as many as me, then it's a lot. And in this particular complicated, stressful and overwhelming world that you and I live in, I too would love the answer to be simple. But in reality, there are nuances that need to be spoken about so that you can make a serious shift in your life and keep it shifted. As a result, this episode is broad, covering the macroeconomics of the health industry, the complex nature of why fad diets are so appealing psychologically, how to appropriately pick your metrics of success for health, having depth to your health goals, the impact your social circle has on your health, and why you might need some new friends, and also committing to a new version of yourself. So if you'd like to come at your health from all the angles, you're in the right place. So let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? We're hanging out again, except this time, I'm the guest. But before that... In 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. Today's episode is brought to you by the True Hope Canada podcast, of which the very lovely host, Simon Brazier, interviewed me and he was kind enough to share the audio so that I can share it with you, uh, talking about all of the elements that fall into producing a healthy you in this life, in your life, and your kids' life, and your family's life, and everybody's lives. So, without further ado, here we go. Hello, good day, greetings. I'm feeling really good today. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for joining True Hope Podcast, the official podcast of True Hope Canada. My name is Simon. I am your host. And True Hope Canada, if you're not familiar with us, is a mind and body-based supplement company that is dedicated first and foremost to promoting brain and body health through non-invasive nutritional means. I advise you to go check out truehopecanada.com. Lots of very interesting things to check out there about our products and what we do. Today, I've got the pleasure of speaking with scientist and nutrition consultant, Matty Lansdowne. Now, Matty started out on Facebook Live ranting about food as medicine and nutritional therapies, which soon moved to seminars, retreats and conferences. He is the host of a great podcast called How to Not Get Sick and Die. Matty's aim has always been to have people feel like they they are in control of their own health and empowered to take the necessary action. Today, him and I are going to talk about the deep psychological and behavioral piece when it comes to making big health changes. Enjoy the show. All right, Matty, thanks very much for joining True Hope Cast today. How are you doing? Hey, Simon, I'm good, man. Thanks for getting me on the show. No, of course. I'm excited to um, get into it. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts quite recently, and I think even though you've got the picture of a brain right behind you, I think you're a perfect person to speak to and get on True Hope Cast. There it is. So, um, yeah, welcome, welcome again to the show. And I, just for those people who don't know who you are, I have not listened to your podcast yet, why don't you give us a little background? Who are you? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure thing. So, um, based in Australia, uh, I'm Matty Lansdowne. Um, I've got a podcast called the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast and that came to be um, as a result of my years working as a scientist in Western medicine in a Western medicine hospital. I used to go in and out of 
two or three hospitals on a very regular basis and a university um, as part of a research, cancer research team. Um, and I just, I started there in my early 20s and naively wanted to know why nobody was working on the cause of disease, uh, which sounds like a really obvious question to ask. Um, but when you're in your early 20s and you're asking your 60-year-old professor, he essentially just laughed at me and said, um, Maddie, if it was that easy, we would have solved the problem already. Um, and so I just went on a bit of a truth, truth uh, journey, which was totally organic. It wasn't incentivized by my hippie upbringing or, you know, you know any type of um, anything but organic curiosity. Um, and when I went to the World Health Organization website, and it's probably still there now, this is almost 10 years ago, but it said in the first sentence on their cancer page, uh, 90 to 95% of cancers are caused by diet and lifestyle. And so I just went from there. Like, why does the hospital not focus on diet and lifestyle? Why do not doctors do not get, you know, education in that type of thing? Why didn't I get education in that? I mean, I went on to do an honors degree in nutritional epigenetics, which was just a coincidence, but um, it, it still had no impact on patients functionally in the hospital. And so, yeah, I just went down the rabbit hole. I learned about traditional Chinese medicine, naturopathy, all of the alternative things that have been around for thousands and thousands of years as part of culture um, and handed down for generations and generations. Um, and yeah, learned that there's lots of ways to heal the human body. Um, and and in the process, I got a nutrition degree as well. And now I run a company that uh, yeah helps people and particularly women with their health, gut health, and just get people back to the, the functional human way that we should be living, essentially. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, uh, we need so many <laughs> more people like you. And it's, it's interesting. You've gone, into, you've gone into that conventional Western system asking questions and being curious. I wonder how many of your peers... That you were studying, people who you were studying with shared that shared that inquisitive nature. That's a good question. I think a lot of people go into that profession craving the status. I think as well, many people do want to help. Um, but we're also like, particularly those of us that are, and we were talking about this, this type of thing kind of before we hit record, but like it's a little bit like um Australia, Canada, the, some of the UK, a lot of these people in these countries were born just inherently trusting the system. Um, and so before they've gotten so far into the system before they've asked any questions and it's kind of too late, um, if you know what I mean, like got a mortgage, got kids, got private school education to pay for before they're actually like, oh, hang on, there's something here that doesn't add up. And if I start questioning it, I question not only in my income source and my financial security and my standing in my social group of friends, but also my identity. And there's layers and layers of stuff to peel back there in regards to that question. So I think when you're born into such a, um, a, a world that is perceived to be so secure and safe, you get, you, it's really easy to get super deep without having to ask a question. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that <clears throat> I think you're spot on in regards to we are certainly born into all these systems that are built around us that we assume are being run by really smart, educated individuals. But especially when we're talking about like government systems, you know, like I was, my, my wife was, uh, went to go and get some routine stuff done for our son at the hospital yesterday. And she was there for like 12 hours. And you can see, you can see the, the massive cracks and flaws in these, in these government health services, especially, and especially over the last mm -hmm. couple of years, you know, like, the 
the um, the clock keeps running, but like it just takes a little bit of something for it to really, really get knocked back on on it on its butt, you know. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective that people will go into like medical school, for example, with all these kind of dogmas already implanted in their minds mm-hmm. that they wouldn't. These questions would not even actually neurologically spark in their minds to even like go down that rabbit hole. But for yeah. you, that was different. So like, it's interesting that you had those. You had that different thought process because you know everyone wants. I'm sh- I assume everyone who goes into medicine wants to actually help people. I'm sure there's a percentage of people who just want the the doctorate and then you know you know wear a white coat and you know <laughs> play you know you know you know what I mean the status. Yeah, the status the, the status of that, which is yeah, I suppose you no, know, that's a that's an incentive in itself. But you know, that could create a, a great doctor. But there are so many people that do go into medicine. Most of them, I think, that want to do good, um, but then they obviously get pulled into a system that creates a very narrow road for them to walk down. Absolutely. And and I guess as well, like there's a there's a line that has to be, you know, agreed upon by the individual is that at what point is it my parents, my conditioning, society's fault? And at what point do I take responsibility? And I think um you know, a lot of people have those feelings or have those thoughts, but they're just so entrenched that it's it's just such a major risk to to ask those questions or to speak those things and and that became extremely evident through the last couple of years when when you know my esteemed colleagues that are much much older than me that have been around started questioning some things in the last couple of years and shut down rapidly like just you know curiosity is not celebrated um and, and I think it was different for me just because of a default of my personality like I remember as a kid you know like really just asking my parents loads of questions about everything like just I was and that's why I love doing the podcast as well I just have this natural curiosity about people and their journey and how the world works and and I think at you know it might sound a bit pretentious but being a scientist that should be at the core of what drives progression and and science right is that genuine curiosity for the possibilities rather than this model that is like we will only fund and celebrate um, research which confirms what we need to be true to make a profit and it's important to comment there as well that a lot of natural health professionals or people that beat up on western medicine like also beat up on capitalism And and i actually don't want to do that because like capitalism is a great thing. We're all here trying to earn a, earn a living enough to do a little bit more than we, you know, just go to work every single day. And so I don't think capitalism is the problem. I just think the the system was incentivized in the wrong way. So a lot of people beat up on on the system and say all these rich guys trying to get profit and don't care about health. Um, and and I think that's the way that it's gone. But if we have an alternative, it's highly likely that it's going to be a capitalist system that is the alternative. We just have to have to incentivize curing people and, and healing people and making people healthy. And we can't make that shift in, in a year or even a decade. The world's like trillions of dollars go into this, you know, every country's economy. It's one of the core pillars, Western medicine. We can't just change that overnight, you know. So it really needs a, a really long you know, maybe generational transition for a macroeconomic shift um, in order to support that change. Yeah, well said. I think um, I think I've got two young kids, and every day when they go out and play, 
they're they're being they're asking questions they're being curious they're like these little mini scientists you know trying experiments by playing in the mud playing in the dirt playing with water right and somewhere along the lines usually in the school mm-hmm. system that curiosity that creativity that unique individualism just gets beaten out of them because there are yep. there's one answer for every question and the answers are in the back of the book but don't look because that's cheating you know, so it's very, it's very, it's very don't be resourceful. No, don't be resourceful and collaborate and maybe think of alternative answers. No, of course not. So that's, yeah, that's super interesting because yeah, you see this, you see this uh, inquisitive nature with very small children and you don't see it with mm-hmm. adults. You'd think that we would become even more skeptical and ask even bigger questions as we get older, but somewhere along the lines of, you know, zero to let's say 21, that that process in our minds just doesn't just doesn't get um d- doesn't get nurtured and that's a that's a huge problem because we've got a lot of problems in the world i think we live in an incredible i think we've got an incredible planet here and many incredible systems nothing's perfect but um we need to be you know influencing individuals to advance these things and ask these questions and you know we, we can create wonderful things if we want to because look what we've look what we've done right so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a very that's a that's a whole different podcast episode. That's for sure. It's you know it's it's deep stuff. Yeah, yeah I like to I like to peel the onion pretty rapidly. <laughs> Good for you, man. I appreciate that. Um, I want to talk about dieting and especially yo-yo dieting. Yeah, as I said, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and it's quite obvious that you're not a fan of yo-yo dieting. I mean, I don't think anyone's a fan of it <laughs> because, <laughs> but it's just a thing. It's just a thing that we do. So. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience in regards to like, what is the key to, to like sticking to a health plan or like, why do people yo-yo diet? Like what's the kind of psychology around that? Yeah, that's a great question because it's so hard to not get sucked into those things for men and women, but particularly women, because uh, all sorts of reasons, sexualized marketing, you know, social standing, all of these different types of things. But yeah, I think... You know, it goes back to where Western medicine came into things, which was, you know, the pill for an ill um, kind of model, which is that you don't have to suffer in order to get the result. And that's the same the same um, kind of psychology is used by credit card companies, right? They know that if they delay the pain of the benefit by a period of time, then they'll get you to spend more money than you have because the pain comes in a month's time. Um, and so it's the same kind of thing with yo-yo dieting. It's like we can get... We can get the success in a really rapid time frame. Um, and, you know, it's just a short amount of pain, but it'll be amazing. And so it just speaks to that, like, desire to not have to do hard work, uh, which is, you know, we, we would all love that, right? Like, you know, you could even argue that we're all inherently lazy because whenever there's a better option, we go for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? If it's faster, if it's quicker, if it's cheaper, like, you know, that's that, they're the points that everybody trying to sell anything bargains with because if you can get those down, people want it more. Um, so the problem is that in business, in education, uh, in anything that involves uh, learning, that actually works because you can cram information into your brain. You can find ways to hack learning. Um, I learned I to speak an entirely different language in nine months uh, and then spoke on a stage in a different country speaking about health and nutrition in a different, different language. However... Uh, And anyone can do that, but when it comes to your biology, we cannot hack it. 
Like you have to allow adaptation, and and unfortunately, you know, six week programs or twenty eight day weight loss or you know thirty pounds in thirty days, this extreme stuff, does not factor in the fact that the human body needs to adapt and do that long term. Um, and 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 the thing is too, like a lot of the women that I work with. Um, if you speak to younger women, they're not really interested in sustainable results. They have to actually go through the pain of getting it wrong so many times till they get to a point where they're like, I have ruined my body. I'm so unhappy. None of those things work. Things work. I guess now I better yeah. figure out how to do this in a long-term strategy. And, and a lot of this stems uh, for me, again, from, from the hospital. It's like, you know, nobody goes to a cancer hospital to get cured. They go to get drugs that will manage the state of their life until it's over. And so that that's, again, it's not empowering. It's not helpful. Um, like we want to spend less time dying, less time suffering and more time living. And, and whilst ever we're moving towards these yo-yo diets of on again, off again, on again, off again, that don't involve a mindset or identity shift, we're just going to default to the person we were that created the problem. And I think it was Einstein that said... You can't solve a problem with the same thinking you had that created it. Yeah, I think the definition of in, like insanity, for example. Yeah, exactly. Like continuing doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Yeah. Totally wild because I think everyone's got an experience with different diets. I think there's, there's mass, a massive element of like the media and newspapers and celebrities doing all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, you know, that's that's appealing because it looks like quick. I, I, always, I always see those ridiculous magazines, you know, when you like, uh, you've got this super Gwyneth Paltrow you've got super skinny beautiful Gwyneth Paltrow she's done this diet and she's lost all this weight and I'm like she gets to sleep 10 hours a day if she wants to you know she yes. she doesn't live in the real world you know and it's just yeah but yeah, she's don't. got a doctor a chef a dietitian. A- <laughs> yeah I'm surprised she doesn't have someone to sleep for her you know what I'm talking about so it's like <laughs> it's uh it's a completely different world and it, yeah, it's just false. It's it's fake. It's not real. It's just trying to, you know, it's selling you something. It's a gimmick, right? And I think everybody, if oh, they're really sure. true, yeah, I think everyone, if they're really true with themselves, they know that yo yo dieting has never worked for them. It's always been, um, they might have lo- they may have lost weight rather than you know focusing on maybe losing fat or something. Never sustainable, never super enjoyable. And then you know the when the two weeks is done or the month is done or whatever that might be, you end up like hitting it even harder than you did before, putting yourself in even a worse place. And your biology is just like, what is going on? This is not quite uh, caveman <laughs> style that I used to be used to. That my genetics are pretty much programmed for. What's going on? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think as well, like, the, the there's a lot to be said for the modern lifestyle because we're always trying to be everything to everyone and be everywhere and be good at everything. Um, and that's, you know, social media and advertising is designed to make you feel that way, like you're not keeping up with the Joneses, you know. And so, when it comes to your body or all the other things that are taking your time and attention, we end up with a world of people that think looking after their own health is a waste of their time when they should be getting better at sport or they should be getting better at their job or they should be getting better at you know spending their resources external to their own experience. And so I think like social media and dopamine addiction, which comes along with the modern world, um, whether it be sugar, whether it be porn, whether it be, um, you know, 
anything that involves you going back for more, for more, for more and leaving unfulfilled um, is, is a culprit for contributing to this mentality of I can solve a problem in a really short time frame. And we know, and I know this from personal experience with clients, is like bariatric surgery. I've had a number of people have between 50 to 70 kilograms uh, cut off their body only to end up working with me because they've had most of it come back. Because unless you shift the identity of the individual and the core values, unfortunately, it doesn't work because you'll just find a way to be the old person that you were. In fact, you actually never changed. You just used willpower until it ran out. And willpower is a very finite resource. And the only resource that's infinite in that same realm is self-respect and self-love, but you have to cultivate it. Yeah, that's really well said, man. That's that's awesome. Yeah, the self-love aspect of it. And it's like, who who does a who does a two, three week master cleanse and loves themselves? <laughs> yeah, you know no, I mean? I've never met a hungry person that loved life. <laughs> no, of course not. Yeah, it's never, yeah, it's, they, don't, they don't talk about that on the front page of these magazines either about the absolute hell and torment and the, what's actually happening with your body and how confused it gets. So, in regards totally. to, no, right? So, in regards to what are the kind of some of the key psychological aspects? that one might need to actually start thinking about making beneficial health health changes opposite to what we used to recognize as like just jumping on a diet and, you know, losing some weight. That's a great question. So I guess, um, knowing where you want to go is a really good thing. And what I mean by that is not just, I want to be 10 kilograms lighter. Like if you, if you look at the tool, whether it be the diet or whether it be the, the thing you want, if if it's not a, an experience or or a, a, of a, of like being a healthy person or being a different person or existing with a new set of rules then it's going to fall apart so if you're like i want to be vegan or i want to be um 20 kilos lighter or i want to be you know, just better than I am now. Those things don't last because they don't have any meaning behind them. Um, so we need to start with meaning to your journey. And so we've got to figure out why do you want to be 10 kilograms lighter or why do you want to change this thing about yourself? And usually people will say, oh, because I want to be healthy. And it's like, that doesn't mean much. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why do you want to be healthy? And you really have to push to peel the onion. And it might be like, I want to be able to keep up with my kids. I want to be a role model. Um, I want to stop feeling like a fraud at home when I tell my kids to eat their veggies. And then when they go to bed, I smash chocolate, you know, and you start to get these deeper issues. And actually one that I've um, found uh, from peeling this onion hundreds of times with women is that Actually, at the core, a lot of the time, feeling sexy and being able to reignite sexual intimacy within their relationship is often at the core because they, many people, men, men included, no longer feel like a man or a woman because they can't um, perform this primal function that we are all wired to, in, you know, partake in and it's like i've got this partner i don't feel i'm overweight i feel disgusting i don't feel happy i'm not proud of my body i can't interact with this person because i'm embarrassed and and it might be mutual they might think oh they don't touch me anymore because you know i'm they i'm overweight or whatever the reason is and so when we're getting down to this level of meaning then we've got some real motivation for why you want to show up in the world as a different person. So um, we, we need we need some deep goals basically to start with to know really why are we changing this? And then second to that, what is the cost of not changing? Because if you're not aware of these things, 
the journey's not worthwhile. You don't know what you're risking. You don't know what you might get out of it. So it's just kind of like, I'm just going to meander down this path and see what happens. And it's like, if you, you know, really know your core motivator and you want it and you are fearful of the outcomes if you don't do it, that's not just, you don't just walk down that path. You know what I mean? You really commit. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect, but you really commit to a journey of experimenting in being different in a different way. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the fact that you talk about it as something that's actually quite deep and meaningful rather than this like shallow idea of I want to lose 10 pounds because it's, it's beach season, you know, something completely meaningless, yeah. no emotion, no real emotional connection to anything or anybody else apart from, you know, being about yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you are looking to get healthy for your partner or for your kids or, you know, you don't want to get Alzheimer's like your dad did or something at like 80. These are yeah. seriously, seriously good. Mo- That's why I do Sudoku like once a day. It's because I, I don't, you know, I, I want to, I don't want to get Alzheimer's, you know, and I'm thinking about that now coming up to 40. I'm thinking about my, my 70, 80 year old person. I don't want to have to be dealing with that. And I don't other that my kids have to be dealing with me dealing with that. You know, that's not fair and it's not going to be fun. You yeah. know, like, you know, we should have this, Mm-hmm. No s- steady incline of health for, for for a whole life, and then like at the end of it, just like you know, big decline right at the end, and then gone. <laughs> That's kind of how I want to go. But yeah, having that deep, meaningful yeah, insight, me <laughs> yeah, having that deep, meaningful reason is going to be a lot more powerful when you will inevitably have the thoughts of like going to get a packet of digested biscuits and smashing that halfway through your new plan. Like there's going to be those thoughts come mm-hmm. up for you and you're going to be shopping and you're going to have those thoughts. It's absolutely inevitable. It's part of the journey, part of the rewiring. But if you've got that forceful, deep, sentimental, emotional reason behind it, that's so much more powerful than just the past yo-yo dieting things that I've done where it's just, mm-hmm. just about weight and feeling a little bit better. You know, it's so much better than that and i was like yeah. do you see do you see any themes or any really good you, i mean you, you mentioned like the uh the, the sexual attractiveness piece which is huge have there any other like themes that you recognize that you've seen in your experience hey mum are you currently in a situation where you've tried diet after diet after diet for years only to be feeling bigger heavier and more bloated than you ever have before There are probably a number of signs that your body's been giving you. Do you feel controlled by sugary foods all day? Do you eat when you're feeling sad, angry, stressed or tired? And have you lost the body confidence to wear your favourite clothes that once made you feel confident and kind of sexy, but those clothes have actually stayed locked in the wardrobe for years now? If this all sounds too familiar, then I'm glad you're here because I'm a scientist, nutritionist and an emotional eating coach and I run a unique program that focuses specifically on emotional eating, nutrition and body confidence. And that program is called the Ultimate Energy Upgrade where we help busy mothers that are in your exact position to transition into a happy, proud and confident state of health that actually lasts long term and believe it or not, we do it without counting calories. You might be at that point in your life right now where you know things need to change and that if you don't, you're going to head down the same path as your parents' health did or even some of your friends that have left it too late. If you're feeling like, yeah, that's me and it's time to make a change, but I'm not totally sure if this will work for me, then I'd say that's a great thought and definitely don't take my word for it. Instead, here are the words and voices of just some of my successful clients. 
Jody said, I've tried so many diets and failed, but this program is a breath of fresh air. It's unlike anything I've ever done. I feel like being healthy is normal now and not hard work. Darlene said, I found the mindset section particularly effective. Knowing how and why it works the way it does really helped me to make permanent changes and lose weight. Kelly said, my bloating is totally gone and I feel 1,000 times better. I just didn't expect it so soon. I'm super happy. And Kathy said, I've lost 20 pounds and I can finally do up my winter jacket and feel comfortable wearing it. More importantly, I'm at peace with myself and I'm no longer confused about or fearing food. So we have a limited number of spots in the next intake, but if you're ready, willing and committed to make change with your health, then what I've done is created an application form, which you can find in the show notes below. And if you fill your details out there, myself and my team are going to reach out to explain the exact framework of what we do in the program and how we can support you to get control of your food choices, feel happy and healthy about your body and be full of self-confidence again. Remember, spots are limited. So scroll down to the show notes below, click the link, complete the application form, and we'll chat really soon. Okay, let's get back into the show. Yeah, well, something that just came to mind that you mentioned with the digestive biscuits is that the other feature of yo-yo diets is restriction and deprivation and nothing good ever comes from that. Restriction always leads to binge. So one of the important things about making a positive change with your diet and nutrition is ensuring that you don't have a a list of foods that you cannot have. And surprisingly, that sounds counterintuitive, but if the option is there, we're less likely to trigger our inner rebellious child to want to break the rules and and, and, get its needs met instantly. Uh, And that's actually what happens psychologically in, in, in our brain. We bounce between parenting ourselves and being the child that we once were and when as soon as the parent puts restrictions like diet culture does and says no you can't you shouldn't all these types of restrictive things the child looks for a loophole um, in the system or, or a way to break the system just as every child should that's their job to test the boundaries and but we've all got that child in us so we've got to make sure that we don't um, set up an environment that caters towards triggering that child or triggering us you know and so if we do then we're, we're setting ourselves up to fail so so like in my programs, we don't have a, there's not a single food that's off limit and people just find they're not going towards those things anymore because they're no longer bad or naughty or breaking the rules or anything like that. Um, and, and at the same time, we, we focus on obviously the, the, you know, the healthier food, but without shaming any behavior that does go towards that direction, because sometimes those foods are good. Sometimes those foods are part of the human experience and bonding and celebration and community and cultural tradition. So it's not about saying no for never, you know, no forever, but it's about having a healthy relationship with what those foods mean and which times you choose to engage with them. Yeah, having that relationship and yeah, I think that's a wonderful insight you've got there in part of your program of, of having those, not, not having this list of foods that you can have and you know, an even bigger list of foods that you can't have. Absolutely. That's going, that, that's, that's a part, that's a huge part of yo-yo dieting, right? Literally having an A4 piece of paper of stuff you can have that's like three or four things. And then this massive list of forbidden, yeah. for, forbidden foods. Yeah. Like the, the idea behind that is just like, yeah, you, you're going to be bouncing between that parent and that child and the child's going to win. There's no doubt about it. The child's yeah. got more experience and more tricks up his sleeve. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> so what when it comes to, because um, I, I feel like there's a bit, is there like a, 
a specific age group that you kind of work with? Because I know that a lot of the nutrition clients that I've had that have come from a conventional system into a complementary alternative alternative one, they've had years of experience mm-hmm. of failure with conventional medicine, drug after drug, not worked, mm-hmm. recommendation after recommendation, not worked. And then, you know, they get to a point where they've had a hundred doctor's appointments for this one thing and they don't even feel a percent better. So they have to go and do something different. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, young people have a very different, you know, they want something quick. They don't have that like experience of, of, of getting things wrong yet or recognizing that maybe the system mm-hmm. isn't perfect for like chronic illnesses. So are there, are there some examples of, of individuals of like who you, who you do work with that come from a certain background? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess most of the people I work with are that um, 40 to 55-year-old busy mother um, that's just, yeah, just been on her own journey of having kids, of being worn out, of being everyone to everybody um, and is has tried all the diets intermittently throughout, you know, the chaos of life and raising the kids. And it's just at a point where either there's there's two major things. One is either I'm looking at my parents or I'm involved in the support of my parents right now and there's no way I want to end up like that or it's the other direction which is I'm letting my kids down or I'm not going to be around for much of their of their life or to even see grandkids and so I need to fix it. So it's usually the woman that's been in there done 10 or 15 diets, committed to a few programs. However, there are a few I do have a sort of a smaller group of women that are around they're mid to early 30s um, and they're, they're people that are just health savvy. Same thing though, usually parents are unhealthy um, as well. They, they've either had some autoimmune issues is pretty common as well or they've got restrictions due to the, the pill, like the contraceptive pill really messing things up for them, um, which you know my, I've definitely had a partner in the past that had really suffered as a result of that of the pill. Um, so, so yeah, but it's mainly women in, in that kind of 40 to 55-ish demographic, yeah. Yeah, it seems to be a, a prime demographic for a lot of alternative practitioners. I had uh, Dr. Hot Flash on the show I think she's coming on next week, but um, yeah, I had her on the show, similar demographics, similar individuals who have been kind of like let down and been put on, let's say contraception from a very young age and the damage it's done and like the education Mm -hmm. behind what it might do was never, ever there. That consent was really never given in regards to like the, the ramifications of taking a very powerful pharmaceutical for a long period of time. Like, um, the damage that does, especially to a female hormonal system, which is significantly more complicated than, than a man's is. It's, um, oh, it's sure. wild. Yeah. It's wild that that's the, the demographic that so many practitioners like yourself work with. I think it's just the course of life. Like by that age for many people, um, like you've suffered enough. Um, and you know, the way that I think about it from a bio, like a, an evolutionary thought pattern is basically, you know, some days humans can say no to sex, but every single day of the week you'll get out of the way of the lion. So we're always going to be motivated to get away from pain and suffering first. And I think by the time we're mid-40s, like that's just the time where we're like, I've suffered enough. I've tr- I've been trying to get the pleasurable outcome of the bikini body, or you know, get you know, fit and five or whatever the catchphrase is. But I lose motivation, and and so 
yeah, we just don't move towards pleasure as much as we are willing to commit to getting away from pain. Um, and I think that's built into our biology because we've just spent the last, you know, 20 odd or 30 odd years trying to get the pleasure thing and realizing it's really unfulfilling and unsatisfying and actually only lasts five seconds. And I ended up worse than where I started, whether it be just weight loss or whether it be gut health, autoimmune disease, recurring, um, chronic disease issues that you're, you've been to the doctor, like, you know, diabetes, for instance, which is just a management. When we know dietarily, we can pretty much cure it for most people. But if you've been going back and forward to the doctor, it's just more more drug to, to make sure that you stay where you are and that the diet advice from the hospital dietitian has to follow the food pyramid uh, or food plate, which we have now, which is still a, a strong recommendation of um, grains and, and carbohydrates, which we know are the cause of diabetes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we could go. We could go on that for a long t- period of time. But the idea of recommending <laughs> one plate for everybody, or one diet for everybody, or one food group—it just, just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, especially when we know that everybody's so different. Um, but yeah, I think that, especially that that kind of age group that we're talking about, that group of people, whether they're forty or above forty, they've had kids. I I think that there's a big self-conscious element that that kind of disappears because you've had kids and you've you're not 20 anymore you're not like thinking about yourself and thinking about what other people think about you you know like you're taking care of you don't have time to worry about any of that like non-societal nonsense anymore and then you know parenting makes you fierce and it makes you at some point realize okay i've really really need to do something at this point and that kind of that self-conscious element of like what other people might think of you goes and then it's like okay now it's really time to do something for me and i wonder mm-hmm. like how the community aspect of doing that with other people because i think like until people get to that point we're all on our own like yo-yo dieting is something that most people just like do on their own there might be like a facebook group or something or it might be like a special month for whatever but at the end of the day you're kind of like doing it like on your own rather than it being like a kind of healing community process which i'm sure that you know Mm -hmm. i was going to ask you about your your um your programs that you offer because you know if you're talking about having conversations with people peeling the onion back really figuring out what is their why and not the the bs one you know why are people really doing these things there must be like a, a communal process or something you know a lot deeper that you are doing as a practitioner with your client and your other clients together Absolutely. So I think that's one of the interesting things that I've learned from being um, just super curious and trying to learn lots of things, even for myself, is that information is almost never, not always, but almost never the transformational variable. And everybody knows that because we're all listening to podcasts, we're all going to summits, we're all going to events, and we've got so much information. But I think it's like the tank's full of information, but it drops down to like 5 or 10% of those Uh, uh, that information we take action on and the success rate is like 0.01. And so I think, and if if information worked, we'd all be rich, sexy and super happy because Google exists. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think you you raise a really good point in that saying that the, the bits that are actually important for transformation, irrelevant of the journey you're going on, is community support and accountability. Um, is that you know knowing that somebody sees you and cares 
cares about you. And, and if you don't rock up to a call, they're going to check in and be like, hey, what's going on? Um, you know what I mean? And so that's why, like, well, I do that for my clients, but also I make sure that when they join the group, there's an, each have got accountability partners. We have a weekly call. If they're not there, somebody will check in on them. Um, and I think that element is really important because when things are going really well, again, irrelevant of the context of your life, you can be super happy in your own company or with just one friend or just your partner. It's when things don't go so well. It's when things fall apart and uh, an old pattern comes up or you trip over or you fall off the bandwagon or something catastrophic happened in your life. Or even if it didn't, it wasn't catastrophic. You know, it just didn't go to plan this week. That's the time when the community is important. And that's also the time where in the absence of community support and accountability, you just revert back and stay there. So that's why that element is so important. And if we're talking particularly about women and we think about um, the way that humans evolved and spent thousands of years together, particularly for women, they were very communal. They raised the children of the tribe or the community together as a collective, which which is really different to now because we're getting to situations where women get to their 40s and 50s and try and lose weight, try and get a regular cycle back or do all these things. And it turns out the last 30 years of stress is actually the problem. It's like their, their adrenal glands, their cortisol was pumping for 30 years straight. Whereas we were conditioned, women were conditioned in an environment where we all shared the stress together. So instead of 100% on me and none on you, it was like 5% for each of us. Um, and, it's, and it worked very similarly for the men. The men went and did their thing. And, and I'm not saying that we should necessarily conduct society in the same way, but I am acknowledging that our hormonal functions and our bodily functions were designed for that type of cultural village, you know, tribe setup. So now when we're in this era of everybody doing everything and I, I'm raising my kid alone and nobody else can have any say that there is actually a hormonal cost to that and there is to men too that just go and sit in front of a desk or just you know and, and as well the, you know the, the, the dads that do the parenting same stuff but if we talk about you know the man or the woman going to work that's not natural for our hormones either to sit in front of a desk stationary sedentary all day every day so I think it's really important to acknowledge that whilst we're in this world of advertising and marketing and social media and everybody feeling making you feel like you're doing not enough even though you're doing more than any human's ever done in history that actually we need to wind that back because you know raising children as a community uh, being involved in one another's lives sharing experiences goes back to that core human need for um, a for for community connection uh, integration understanding and that doesn't happen in that at home yo-yo diet thing that you try by yourself uh, and when you fall off the bandwagon no one's there to catch you yeah, I wonder why we have in our culture this this aversion to simplicity and community and, and taking taking a few steps back to maybe reassess to see where we're going. You know, like I, I always think about how not so long ago, like three, maybe even four generations of family would be living under the same roof, right? But now it's like we need yeah. to get out of the house as soon as we possibly can and it's, it's completely crippling our... Uh, our family uh, our family relationships and, and and our friend relationships because we have somehow just like decided that we really need to separate each other and distract us of all this busyness and the busier we are the better we are and the more and then it just you know it comes to a point where a big chunk of our life is already gone like 10 20 percent of our life is already gone before we wake up and realize that you know we do need to be and want to be close to our our family and our friends and we you know we 
we we need that human connectivity and whenever people make really good sustainable mm -hmm. natural progressive change um be that a diet plan or whatever that might be it's it's with other people and it's also like with a different person inside of you because you can't go into that new plan with the same psychological thinking that you've done in the past you have to start being different you have mm -hmm. to start thinking feeling behaving in different ways to get that different result and people start getting reintroduced to a new version of themselves which can only amplify the work that you do with them to you know really uh yeah hit home in regards to good positive health change and and healing I think the answer to the question, why do we do this, is definitely just because we've got consciousness. Like that's the thing that trips us up, right, is that the ability to contemplate possible outcomes where the you know maybe the the anim more animalistic version of us maybe the neanderthals they were quicker to decide because there was less cognitive burden of what is possible what if i do go down here or what if i go back there do you know what i mean and so we've got this part of our brain that's like that's evolved in very recent history and we just don't know how to use it and i think that's one of the reasons humans haven't evolved that far in how long we've been here because we spend the first 60 to 70 years realizing we're doing all the wrong things. And then we've only got this tiny portion of years at the back end of our life to be like, oh, it's actually about connection and being present and enjoying every moment. And oh my God, I've just wasted all this time trying to be everywhere but the current moment and so in all the generations we've had there's like there's the odd person in the social group that's a bit more you know spiritually advanced you might say than everybody else but most the human race has spent i would say 90 percent of their existence chasing their tail only to realize it's not about the tail <laughs> yeah spot on i think that's huge i think uh yeah it's so fascinating and interesting the psychology that people go through especially when they're like on the on the edge of making a change. They're not taking that step yet, but they are very mm -hmm. susceptible to new information and new way of doing things because they've had such a lack of success in the past. And it's a, it's a fascinating place to be at because yeah, it's a, it's a place of unknowns. It's a place of un unfamiliarity and, and that's where real wonderful things can happen. What do you think are the key things that holds a lot of people back from taking a step like that? Mm, that's a great question. I think, well, there's a few things and it's kind of like, um, I think it's Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn. Reg they regularly repeat the line that you're the average of your five closest humans or your cli five closest friends. Um, and I think just in the same vein that we're discussing, like community is so important to transformation equally it's the biggest barrier and anyone that's studied a health degree knows they would have done social determinants of health and we know across the board that your postcode is more impactful than your genetic code um, and that's because we assimilate we're pack animals and we assimilate ourselves into the group that we're surrounded by usually in the first you know 10 to 20 years that's our family and, and that's why most people grow up to embody the same diseases the same poor behaviors the same relationships relationship types as our parents because the first 20 years of the most impressionable impressionable part of the human experience we just copy those around us because we're trying to figure everything out and then we move into a social group that likely mirrors what we have at home in some way um, and so that community is 
equally the biggest barrier to progress. So I would say that the most important thing is to start um, changing up your social circle, which is really tricky because it's it's a real social risk. And being pack animals, um, social ridicule is a, is a real threat to our survival on a really deep reptilian brain level. Um, so if we're and and I know many of the listeners will know, and maybe you too, Simon. Like if you start to make a change, or you remember back when you started to make changes, people being like, "What are you doing that for?" Or like I hear from clients, their friends are like, oh, you're gluten-free now? What does that mean? Like I can't have dinner or you're going to judge me or, you know, you don't drink anymore, do you? What is like, oh, you're not going to be fun. Like all of these and they, people start spitballing these belief systems at you about your choices and mm-hmm. for many people that beats them down because they're like, oh, these are my friends and I don't know where I'd be if I didn't hang out with these guys on Friday night so I better assimilate to the common beliefs of the group that I am within. So um, I think it's really important. The second thing is, so that's the social element, but then there's the biological too, which is our nervous system is always focused on uh, familiarity because when it's no, when it's familiar, if you're a living human and your, your um, central nervous system is in an environment that it's familiar with, it knows that, well, we haven't died yet. So this familiarity that I'm in, breeds security, certainty, uh, and certainty and survival in, into its literal wiring. So even the person that's in a relationship with a abusive partner or the person that can't stop eating donuts because even though they know the partner's bad or the relationship's bad or they know the food is not good for them, because they're so familiar with being safe and secure and not dead in that pattern of behavior – any step outside that lack of familiarity for your nervous system puts alarm bells off because it's like, it's basically that saying, better the devil you know than the one you don't. And that's literally the way your nervous system interprets it, that this security, although we know it's not good because we've seen the ads and we've seen Maddie and Simon having these conversations, but actually we don't know what's on the other side of this decision. So that's risky. So we've got the the social element, so the people around us keeping us down, but we've got our own nervous system saying, hey, don't go too far outside the comfort zone because we don't know what's going to happen in the Wild West. And that's why I, I preach on my podcast and with my clients that the phrase one tweak a week. Like fad diet culture is off the deep end, 400 kilos of kale, no chocolate ever again, and it's a disaster. So we have to go one, one small change at a time and condition the nervous system to that transformation, a little one, then we step on to the next one. Awesome. What are kind of those uh, early uh, tweaks that you recommend? Well, in the beginning, so the, I would always start with the mindset because that's going to be the guiding uh, force behind any change, any difficult situation that comes up. And so the first thing would be to get people to realize that they are not their thoughts, which is is really like overwhelming for some people. They feel controlled by their impulses and driven by their cravings. And so the first tweak is literally to bring those experiences out in front of your face. Like as as you know, like I often refer to them as balloons. So that you can actually put yourself in the driver's seat again of your decision making. And so that takes a little bit of practice too. Just catching yourself in old habits and being like, oh what got me here? You know, so that's kind of where we start with starting to make those tweaks and, and eventually we get back in, in the driver's seat and, and from that driver's seat, we can actually see, do we turn left? Do we turn right? Do we go straight ahead rather than just being on autopilot and then moving from there? And then with nutrition, instead of changing all the nutrition, 
we start one meal at a time. It's like, okay, breakfast. How are we going to do breakfast right? And we just focus on breakfast for the next two weeks. Don't worry about the other meals. Just do what you've always done there. We'll, we'll just start there. And, you know, and inevitably there'll be some days that work and some that don't. But, you know, hopefully by the end of it, it's about 80% on the mark. And then we'll go, okay. Let's stretch that out to lunch. We're, we know how to do breakfast and our nervous system and our, our shopping cart now understand what to do. Now we'll move out to lunch. And so it, it's that kind of thinking rather than I've got to be perfect you know, on day one and if I stuff up, then the group is going to judge me. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, yes, one small project at a time. And there's a lot of all-in or all-out personality types that, that you know, are like, either all in on the diet or they're all out. And so that's really common and that's a you know arguably a self-sabotage strategy as well. However, what we do instead of going we we leverage that personality and say we just do it moment by moment. So we're going to go all in on getting breakfast right rather than all in on 10 weeks of nailing this every single minute for the next 10 weeks, you know what I mean? So yeah. we just we just use that same thinking but we apply it to the situation in front of us. Yeah, I think that yeah, that that tweak a week I love that. Absolutely. Rather than completely replacing somebody's habitual brain immediately trying to do that overnight, yeah. incredibly unrealistic and just never going to happen, but actually using what we do know about yeah. like neuroplasticity and the brain and how, you know, if you are to, you know, focus on kind of like one thing and start rewiring that thought process around that, you are literally going to change your brain and make that one tweak a week in like three or four weeks time, just like a new part of you. And it's going to be something seamless. It's not going to be something you're going to have to like think about or worry about or have anxiety behind. It's going to be organic and be part of the new person that's you. So yeah, what a amazingly responsible and great way that you're, uh, that you're influencing your, your <laughs> patients there, buddy. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, just a couple of more questions before we sign off here. What's the, um, yeah. Supplement industry like over in Australia, like, do you have, you know, is it, is it, I've got no idea about it. So like, do you, do you have uh, good quality products over there? Uh, most of our stuff, the good stuff comes from overseas, really. Um, it's, it's pretty similar to, I guess, probably most places. Like there's a lot of um, readily available with lots of advertising supplements that are, you know, food grade quality on the shelves that, that, you know, a hit, very hit and miss. So there's a lot of that. And I, I spend a lot of time, yeah, sort of educating people like, you know, if it's food grade quality, um, it's just a risk. Like, you know, if you're chasing branding um, on the supermarket shelf, that type of thing. So, yeah, we all, I guess, most guide most people to sort of supplements that, you know, I guess myself and naturopath friends that have got sort of evidence that they actually work and experience using them with clients and that type of thing. But, um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's up to the individual too, because like, the you know it depends on cost branding is a thing and and how much they want to spend and and whatnot but there's definitely brands i know to steer away from <laughs> yeah okay yeah it can be yeah i think everyone's got those brands and it's like if they don't have actually any published research or science or kind of like their their web page then it's you know that's a big red flag for it should be a big red flag for everybody but a lot of people yeah kind of get sucked into that branding and the cost is a big thing you know you get so many people over here that get their supplements from like walmart or from costco and it's yeah it's mm -hmm. in my opinion those those are going to probably do you more harm than anything so it's yeah it's it, it's interesting in different countries might as well spend that excess money in the produce section <laughs> right exactly even if it isn't costco for sure no totally <laughs> Yeah, with that one yeah. tweak a week. Um, so before we sign off, tell us what can people expect from your podcast if they were to mosey on over there? And is there an episode that you might recommend as an intro? Oh, good question. Um, 
So, yeah, how to not get sick and die. What you can expect is me trying to be hilarious about doom and gloom health information. And that's the kind of the way that I um, titled the podcast is that when, when I was trying to pick a name and I shared, they're like, what's it called? I said, how to not get sick and die. Almost exclusively, everybody laughed. Um, and I was like, this is great because so many health podcasts are serious and they're by academics and they're not very exciting. So I just try and make it... You know, my my big bit mission is to make the complex simple and for everybody to walk away with it with the ability to change something whilst also kind of laughing. So that's very much the goal. But in line with the conversation today, um, episode 126 is called The Psychology of Being Healthy. So it would be really in line with today's conversation and I go just super deep on on what it means to transform your mind in order to embody healthy behaviours. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that that is linked up in the show notes. Thanks, man. I appreciate you getting me on. This has been a cool conversation. No, yeah, I really appreciate it. So, yeah, I, uh, I'll make sure that everyone's connected with you on your on your episode on your on your on that episode and your podcast because, yeah, interesting title. And I've listened to a few of them as well, so I can attest that it's a it's a it's a good listen. And uh, yeah, getting into some of the nitty gritty things <laughs> Thanks, about man. that. Yeah, making making <laughs> making these doom and gloom things funny is a is a good good way to get the information across in a not completely ne- negative, depressed way. <laughs> so, yeah, I think with the Aussie accent totally. as well certainly helps because, I, yeah, I, f- I find that a very, very interesting accent to listen to. So, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> ah, that's good feedback. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah, keep, keep it up. Go, go more Aussie on it if you can, maybe. All right, all right. I can do it. I can channel my, um, you know, my really country Australian relatives. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we've got that, that Aussie man guy. He's super popular. I think it's because he sounds awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really ocker <laughs> yeah there you go um well i appreciate your time again thank you very much matt i really appreciate it and um yeah maybe we'll get back get you back on the show because there's a, there's a bunch of different ways we could have gone today oh it's so so many rabbit holes to go down but simon thanks so much man i appreciate you getting me on and yeah we'd love to come back and have another deep dive Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of True Hope Cast. We will be back next week with another episode. I'll make sure that anything that we've spoken to about in this episode will be in the show notes. You can get connected with that. But um, yeah, that's it from me today. Have a good weekend. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.